Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. I'm Robert Shea. The discussion that we have in front of us today, I'm excited about. Are you really? Yes, because I'm I'm fascinated by what the future of work looks like, about the way especially that public sector, federal government in my case, but public sector organizations more broadly, the way that they'll function and the way that they'll work, because they don't have the choices that some private sector organizations have to shift the mission of the company, or we can start doing this other thing or stop doing this other thing. Government organizations don't have that luxury. You and I experienced it together. And what we did was we started meeting outside over large meals and alcohol. Is that the future of work that you've envisioned? Well, you have a lot more government experience than I do, which is zero. But my sense is that that's not encouraged in government management circles. Probably right. You've got to get special dispensation in order to have a beer in a federal building. Uh, someone who's much more of an expert about what's going on in the front lines than we are is Sean Catanese. He's the Enterprise Risk Management Program Manager for King County, Washington's Office of Risk Management Services. He's also Project Manager for the Future of Work there. Welcome, Sean. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. You're combining these two very important future-thinking, forward-thinking concepts into one. How are you doing that uh, in King County, Washington? Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so one of the things that really is, is interesting about our work here is that you know risk management is that forward thinking, what's on the horizon, what are we worried about, and, and future work is also that too. Um, I really, you know, I appreciate that you bring up that we're sort of a risk owner of last resort or a business owner of last resort for a lot of those operations that have a front line that can't go anywhere, that can't go out into their, their homes and be remote anymore. Um, you know, when we have, uh, about 16,000 employees at King County, about 5,000 of those folks are driving a bus. You can't do that from your home office. I couldn't do that here from my basement, you know? And so we have a lot of folks that, that you know, their daily work is it's going to maintain a park. It's going to do that frontline stuff. And we don't have a way of saying that work's going to be remote, but their work has fundamentally shifted in the last couple of years here too, as we've endured all of this uncertainty and change. And so we really need to listen to them on the front lines because their safety profile, their posture and how they feel safe doing the job is really different than it was, you know, 19, 20 months ago. Um, And when we think about what we're going to do to listen to them and and respond to their needs, we need a real forward-looking, thoughtful plan about it. And all of that uncertainty, you know, another word for uncertainty in all this is risk, right? Risk is uncertainty affecting our objectives. That's from uh, federal guidance on that also, you know, broader guidance on risk management. And we really have to think about how we listen to those folks and how we allocate our resources in a way that's equitable, where we're listening to those front lines that are experiencing those safety challenges or experiencing those needs and, and saying, not only did we hear you, but we're going to demonstrate that we heard you and respond to those needs that you're identifying by putting resources where those are necessary. Um, and that's not just making sure you have the right PPE for the job, like, you know, a mask and making sure that you have access to a good, you know, easy way to get vaccinated and all the rest of it. But that also means that, you know, if we can make a body of work work for somebody who would rather do it remotely, but historically, maybe we haven't, because historically speaking, our remote work jobs have been those jobs where, you know, a, a person in that job has status in the organization, they're managers, they, they, th- those are sort of the status, higher remote work jobs there. 
um, we can actually look at the body of work instead of just the status of the person doing it right now. And when we look at the body of work, the thing they have to do, then we can make some decisions that are more equitable about how we decide who gets to do that remote work and, and who has to come in and, and then, again, how we keep those people safe. I think scores of organizations have found themselves more productive in this environment than in the past. Can you characterize how King County uh, adapted and got its work done and whether it was more or less productive than in the past? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had some examples of you know where this gave us an opportunity to innovate and make a change where uh, we got very lucky in our claims management for risk management, right? <clears throat> It used to be you had to fill out a paper form and deliver it by hand to the clerk of the council in the courthouse. I mean, that is a burden for anybody. Nobody wants to, to take time out of their day to make that delivery or to mail it in, right? To, who has a printer at home anymore? You know, that's just not a thing that people do. Um, so to think about how we could digitize that process, you know, we, we got our county code changed December 2019, just in time for all of this happening. And when that change occurred, in a space of just a couple months, we saw about 90% of our tort claims getting filed through the electronic portal or through email instead. And that's breaking down an access barrier for folks. Um, it's also bringing us into the 21st century in terms of technology that we're using. And all of those changes for us, they come with a little bit more risk. Opening up a portal that says, if you want to file a claim against the county, you know, you can do that electronically. A lot of organizations don't want to make that process easier. You know, they, they want to guard that process. They say, go talk to our lawyers. I don't want that that going on. And instead, file this say, in file this in triplicate and d- deliver between the hours of one and one fifteen p.m. Right, and that's not what we want for our, our folks that have to come interact with us. If you're going to file a claim, you're already experiencing one of the worst days interacting with your local government that that you you're going to have in a long time. We want to make that process easy, engaging, and we want to make sure that you feel like you've been heard at the end of that. And that whole digital process worked amazingly well in this you know remote focused posture that we have now where it's a you know we always talk about how we want to have paperless government processes how we want to reduce that that paperwork that back-end bureaucracy of government this is an opportunity to do that in this new environment this is an opportunity to make good on those commitments this raises another issue and we talked about it before we started equity not everybody has access to the digital tools that you're describing to interact with their government. But, and the pandemic has underscored inequity in so many respects, not only the impact of the virus itself, but access to treatments and vaccines, but it also highlights the inequitable access to government benefits and services generally. I know this has brought a light to it, but how are you addressing all of that in the work you're doing? Well, so our future of work project is really about the internal workings of government as we serve the community that we we work in. Well, it's about the internal workings of our government as we're serving our constituents. And those are the people who are visiting King County, the people who live here, work here. That's a broad base of folks. Um, But future of work is really how the inside of government operates for that. The broader sort of whole of government approach to responding to the pandemic, that's a much bigger question of public health actions. And I think really we have been a leader in that in King County. Uh, We were one of the first places where COVID-19 started to uh, have cases in the country, right? Uh, Right. Up in a a nursing home in Kirkland. Um, And, you know, when we look at the decisions that we made in that first early days, equity was really centered in those as well. We decided very early on that folks living homeless don't have uh, necessarily a good way to 
isolate and quarantine. And so we need to find the facility that can do that. And we can't wait for uh, federal action to say, hey, we're going to pay for that at the, on the back end. We just have to do that. We have to take that that additional financial risk and say, we're going to go out and we're going to buy that hotel. We're going to go buy that motel. And actually, those are great facilities for it because uh, they have, you know, they're contained air conditioning in the single unit. They open mm. doors to the outside. They're great for isolation and quarantine. And so we bought a couple of those facilities early on in the process. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that we don't just use that to ensure that folks who don't have a place to go to isolate themselves because they're living homeless have a place to go there. We also use them for first responders who are responding to that outbreak in, in that nursing home because they don't want to go back and expose their families. Mm. And so we, some of the first people to actually be housed in those facilities were people who were first responders. Um, and, and making that decision early on is really, I think, indicative of a priority on equity um, and then also a, a priority uh, on really taking a little bit more risk in pursuit of that value for our stakeholders and understanding that, you know, if you draw a Venn diagram of folks who work in government finance and folks who go bungee jumping on the weekends, there's not a whole lot of overlap between the <laughs> circles, right? I can government attest. Finance I can attest. And, and, and public, public sector folks generally, we're not risk takers for the most part. And when we think about that difference, um, it takes a little bit of a cultural movement to say we're going to take on a little bit more risk here, put ourselves out there a little bit, but when we do it, it's worthwhile. And taking on a little bit of risk and pursuit of value there is really, we have a risk appetite statement that prioritizes equity, health and safety, and our overall strategic objectives. Um, that clear statement, that clear guidance is a, a good call to action, and it pushes decision makers in a way that, you know, I think a lot of organizations could really benefit from, especially in the public sector. Sean, you talked earlier about the uh, different types of workers that you have and the things that they do. And it's obvious, of course, that 5,000 bus, bus drivers have to be on the buses to drive them. It's obvious that there are some categories of workers who can perform all of their duties remotely. How do you evaluate those in between? And is there a risk management calculation involved with how you evaluate those in between? Uh, yeah, I mean, we when we think about the workforce that we have right now and where they are, about a third of our folks are almost entirely remote. About two thirds of our folks are either all, all the time on site or they're some hybrid of the two. Um, and the hybrid of the two, you know, part of that is that folks, some of them actually want to have an office to go to. And another part of that is that our customers deserve a place where they're, they can point to and say, my government, my local government, the folks who serve me, they're here. And knowing where that place is, knowing that where they can go for service is meaningful. Um, but really, this has given us an opportunity to look at that that sort of middle ground and say, you know, for those services where we do have to have somebody come on site, we have a customer that might visit a location somewhere, we can reevaluate what that experience looks like because of all these other kinds of facilities shifts that we do. As we have a lot of our folks going fully remote, there's one of our major downtown buildings we're expecting to, to close down. And what that means for us is that as we shift out of there, there's a cost savings for us. Um, but then also, we have to think about our customer service and where we move those customer service locations to. If we're going to set up a new one there, let's think about ADA accessibility. Let's think about language accessibility and, and pathfinding and the ways that if I come in for one service, I might also want this other related service. How do I make sure that I have that as an easy process as a customer? Those are all good opportunities for rethinking that service that we might not have had otherwise. 
And where do you see the biggest transformation? Where can citizens expect to see the biggest change in the way they get services or benefits from your government? Well, we've had, uh, it used to be, you know, with a downtown campus with uh, sort of several different front offices, several different customer service desks that you could go to. We now have one that we're planning on opening uh, in probably the the first half of next year, uh, where it's going to be one counter that has eight or 10 different services there, or, or it's you know split between a couple floors of the same building, but you can get there and you have sort of a central place that you can go to. Um, we're also talking about how we provide offices in more satellite locations where it's not just downtown Seattle you have to come to, right? You might come to uh, some place out in Snoqualmie or Issaquah or uh, down south in Kent somewhere. You might find facilities out there. Um, and it's not just for our customers there, but it's also for the services that our employees have to access, like our IT desk. We actually have a remote IT desk down at the south part of the county so that I don't have to drive all the way into Seattle if I need a new laptop. There's an IT desk there that is part of another facility that we're already leasing or working with. We can just go there for that instead. So there's, there's again, lots of opportunity in this that we can really take advantage of if we do it right. How are you measuring success, Sean? How are you determining that you're on the path that you want to be on and you're going to get the results that you want? Well, I think there's a couple different things we have to think about as we do this. One is that as we were making out these plans, we modeled what we would expect the results to be, right? We asked each department, what's your operational footprint gonna look like in terms of the office space that you use? How's that change? And what are the costs associated with that? And we can model what those differences are um, and just say, well, that's a difference in savings there. That also translates into a difference in energy usage and that because that translation in energy usage and also commute habits, we can say that's a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which helps us reach our climate action plan goals as well. So there's some modeling we can do there. Um, and that modeling also, you know, it has to think about that when you think about climate and greenhouse gas emissions, there's what they call scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, right? Scope one is what's the gas that I burn on site for the facilities that I run? Scope two is sort of what's the indirect costs associated in getting the energy to my building or getting products to my building? And scope three is sort of the whole rest of the supply chain. We modeled scope one and scope two pretty well, but before we were doing this, we weren't really thinking about scope two quite as much. So we get into scope two a little bit more. Uh, so we have those sorts of considerations to say, well, there's a little bit more carbon released. So it's not just gonna be a whole net gain of just not having a person in the office. There's additional emissions we need to consider and that counteract that a little bit, but we need an honest, calculation. So that's part of it. I think the other thing that we have to think about is our front lines. Like our our folks that are actually getting the work done every day, we have to listen to them. We have to understand what they're feeling in terms of, do they feel like they belong to the organization? Do they have a high engagement? Like we we want to survey our employees and ask about their engagement constantly, regularly. Um, And then also just do they feel safe at work? Those core questions of can we get those those core elements of health and safety of our workforce done? Um, engagement of our workforce, is that solid? Uh, do they feel like they're going to be a part of the organization? It, one key question that we get asked, it, we ask in our survey, and when we get answers to it, we really care about it, um, is really, you know, if somebody else offered me the same job, same benefits, same pay, would I stay a, an employee of King County? That's a core question for turnover down the road. And we really have to, when somebody tells us, no, I'd leave if somebody had the same job for me somewhere else, 
that's an indicator that we really need to do better for that person as a, as a part of our organization. So there's a lot of opportunity there too. A lot more of it we'd like to cover. We're out of time. Sean, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for the time here. And uh, it's always always a pleasure to be able to evangelize good, good government and good, good uh, work in this area. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.